I shared with you last week, for those of you who are here, I grew up in a denomination where that question was asked a lot. Are you saved? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And while that is a really, really important question, it sort of gives us a whole lot more questions to ask, like, say from what and for what? And so we're going to talk about that today as we take a look at the New Testament and what that says about salvation. Um, last week, uh, well, we said, you know, we have this salvation narrative in our Bibles that covers from the opening pages of Genesis. We see God's, God's gracious uh, gift of grace and salvation all the way to the final amen in Revelation. And we sort of did this huge brushstroke over the Old Testament last week, and we're going to do a huge brushstroke over the New Testament this week just to give us sort of an idea of what this salvation language is and like and see what the connection is between the two. So last week we looked at salvation in the Old Testament, and we learned in there that, for instance, the, there are recipients of salvation. Some of them are uh, individuals, and God's salvific acts include uh, individuals and groups and nations. And individuals we saw, uh, for instance... Even with Adam and Eve after they sinned, that God's grace still took care of them uh, after their rebellion. And we saw uh, personal needs being taken care of, uh, people being delivered from their enemies in the Psalms, the king getting victory in battle, um, the individual, especially we saw lots of barren women praying for babies and getting them, but it seemed as if sometimes when these prayers are answered that there seemed to be a greater purpose going forward, that God's salvific acts in them translated into salvific acts for others as well. Then there were groups that had salvation, particularly we talked about um, Noah's family being saved from um, uh, the flood and that those floodwaters both brought destruction, but they also brought new life and a new creation. So there was, we saw creation with Adam and Eve and God's salvific plan there. Creation, a new creation with Noah. Uh, other groups would have been um, Joseph and his family being saved from famine in Egypt. And then obviously nations, and both the nation of Israel received salvation and even nations that were enemies of Israel. Um, Jonah goes to Nineveh and reluctantly proclaims a, a prophetic voice to them that they, he doesn't even tell them they need to repent. He just says, in 40 days you're gone, and they decide on their own to turn back to God, and they are saved. Um, so as we look at other groups, uh, for instance, Abraham and the patriarchal narratives in the Old Testament. Abraham, it says, is blessed to be a blessing. He's going to be the father of many nations. Um, and so these patriarchal narratives of Abraham and Isaac and jo Jacob and Joseph depict groups of people who receive saving blessings. They're, they're blessed to be a blessing to others, that they might be a light unto the nations and draw other people to God. And we found in the Old Testament the, the great determinative experience of God's salvation. What was that? Who took notes? Yay, yes. The Exodus. So the Exodus, and in the Exodus we find lots of salvation. Um, they're saved from death during the Passover of the plagues. Um, the Israelites are saved from 
drowning and death in the Red Sea as they cross to safety to the other side. They are uh, liberated, saved from oppression, saved from bondage. Um, They are given the gift of the Ten Commandments, and so they get another covenant with God. And in that is life. If you choose to live this way, Joshua tells them, choose to live this way, the way of the commandments, then you choose life. And, of course, they don't do that very well. And so they have this learning experience in the wilderness. And even in the midst of their rebellion in the wilderness, God continues to provide for them. Um, So they're delivered from death. They're liberated from oppression and bondage in order to, and so they're saved from those things in order to worship God freely, we're told, and to be God's people. So there's not only an earthy or spiritual element to their salvation, but there's also this uh, earthy element, but there's a spiritual element and a future in that. In the Deutero-Isaiah, the part of Isaiah that was written later, sees, and I want to tie, we'll tie this in today, so I want to explain this to you today. Deutero-Isaiah sees the creation of the world itself as an act of divine salvation, which was the type of the redemption um, of Israel from Egypt. So it's, and also of the deliverance of God's people from Babylonian captivity. So we've delivered the people from Egypt. Later, they're sent into exile into Babylon, and they come back from Babylon. And so what Deutero-Isaiah sees is that we have a creator-savior who, in creation, defeats chaos and establishes a new world. And then by a new act of creation, God redeems Israel from Egypt at the Red Sea, defeating that chaos and water over water. And then Yahweh redeems them again by this new creation salvation as they are ransomed from their ret- in their return from Babylon. And so thus this whole idea of redemption as an act of new creation passes then into the thought of Judaism and, of course, then on into our New Testament theology. So we're going to hold on to that today as we, as we go forward. Now, within Judaism... Eventually, and this is much later in uh, Jewish writings, there's this expectation of a future salvation, one that takes the form of apocalyptic hopes for resurrection of the dead. And you saw that in the writings of Daniel and in uh, the later writings in Isaiah. And then you really see it developed in Maccabees, uh, in that intertestamental period. I'm sure you've been there with Walt before to see. There's lots, you see this fully developed then um, expectation of resurrection of the dead. And that then, of course, is where this picks up in the New Testament. So we're going to talk today. We're saved from and for what and taking a look at salvation in the New Testament. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus saves and different theories of atonement. And then the last week, on week four, what would John Wesley say? We're going to look at the the Methodist perspective on salvation and our unique look at salvation. So let's take a look at the New Testament. But before we kind of jump in, I want to say a few words about wrath and hell, because that's a good way to start, right? Um, We're not, I'm not going to talk a lot about being saved from God's wrath and being saved from hell today, because we're going to talk more about what we're saved from. Four, 
And we're going to revisit these terms. We're going to revisit this next week. Also, because when we take a look at, I got out my concordance and I started looking at all the mention of kingdom of God and heaven and grace and justification and salvation. There are pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of entries for those words. I think often, and I know in the denomination I grew up in, the f- there was so much focus on God's wrath and hell, and that takes up this much room in the concordance, in, in our New Testament concordance, literally. If you look it up, there's this much room. There are, I think, a little 10 entries for hell. And in the Synoptic Gospels, I think three for wrath, but Paul likes wrath. <laughs> Paul talks a lot about God's wrath, and we're going to talk about what that means a little bit next week. But if I don't mention that, don't think and I, I'm thinking God's a, a gummy bear God, and I'm just not going there. We're just going to we're going to pick up on those themes next week. What I do think, though, is that, and the reason why I didn't stick with that a lot last week is that I think a lot of people come into looking at salvation. At, and the, and the Old Testament, and they say, wow, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament and Jesus is the God of grace. Um, and what, we, what I hope you found last week is that the God of the Old Testament, too, is a God of grace and salvation. Um, and what we see is a continuation of that in Jesus Christ. It's more pronounced, and we see the living example of who God is. But so... We'll pick up with wrath next week. So uh, we'll, we're going to do that more fully next week when we turn to atonement. But now let's talk about being saved. The word save in Greek is sozo. It's a, didn't it just roll like all off the tongue? Y'all want to say it with me? Sozo. I just love the word. And I really fell in love with the word in seminary when I, we started looking at salvation. So it means, and it's translated as, of course, save. When you read in your New Testament, almost any time you see the word save, the Greek word behind it is sozo. But also, when you read these words, sometimes, oftentimes, the word is sozo. Healed, made well. So when you see the words healed and made well, um, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Jesus healed. It's sozo. There's a salvific quality to healing, being made well. Um, sozo expresses this idea not of, not of, of uh, well, yes, of salvation, but this expression of, and this idea of wholeness, of completeness, um, obviously of being kept from harm of liberation. Uh, Jesus heals a woman who is bent over and says, you know, you're, you're liberated from your bondage. Of, so that there's this idea of liberation and salvation and sozo and peace, almost like the Hebrew shalom. Shalom meaning this overall peace and, and wholeness. So sozo has that rich, deep meaning as well. It is used no less than 106 times in the New Testament, and its corresponding nouns, salvation and Savior, are another 73. So we've, we've got texts that are just teeming with sozo and this idea of wholeness and peace and wellness. Some other terms that are used for salvation in the New Testament are rescue, 
justification, which uh, Paul is really going to, I love what's going on next door, um, <laughs> which Paul really, uh, the Apostle Paul latches on to justification, and we will see John Wesley really hangs his hat on justification a lot. And so we'll come, we're going to see a lot of that next week. Also, life. John uses the word life for salvation, reconciliation with God, redemption, and resurrection. All of those are terms that indicate salvation. Also, the rule or the kingdom of God. So, as in the Old Testament, salvation in the New Testament comes to both individuals and groups um, and to meet a personal need but a collective need. And as we go forward, you'll see that sometimes when these personal needs are met, the idea is that salvation is happening to help benefit not only that person, but to benefit, uh, another, there's, another, there's a purpose involved as well. Also, salvation, just like in the Old Testament, has an earthy dimension to it. We're like saving people from hunger and thirst, right? So there's a real earthiness to that, but also a spiritual dimension to feed that, that somehow... Um, Salvation is more is as much about spirit and what's going on in our spirit. Just as in the Old Testament, we talked about there was an already and not yet, that salvation is a present reality right now. You are being saved. You are saved right now. Something good is happening in your life that represents salvation but it's also a future reality. And we live, especially with the Apostle Paul, we live in the middle of the already and not yet, the future kingdom. So how do we live in the middle of that? And there are recipients, both individuals and groups. And let's take a look at some of those individuals. We're just going to go real quickly through this. Um, in the Synoptic Gospels, individuals are delivered from lots of things. From sin, the fellow who's, uh, your sins are forgiven. Uh, people who are sick, Jesus heals and liberates people who are sick right and left. There's just lots of healing. People are liberated from deformity, the man with the withered hand, through uh, the threat of death, as we'll see in just a minute. The power of wealth, he, um, the, um, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's challenged to be liberated from the power of his wealth. Also from evil, from um, demons. And then, of course, as in the Old Testament, infertility is the theme that opens up the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, where we find Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mother, Jesus' aunt. And so here we find that she's barren, but the gift of a son leads her husband, Zechariah, to make this prophetic prayer of thanks about what is going to happen, and this is for God's saving act. So let's jump in right in. And what you find, we find, if we're going to look at salvation, as you open up a book of the New Testament, any book, the first thing you read should be a really a clue as to what you're going to find going through the rest of the book. And in Luke, we find Zechariah and Elizabeth, and of course Mary has a song too, uh, that lays the groundwork for what we're going to see happening throughout the book. So Zechariah, uh-oh, front row, Woo, okay. <laughs> so Zechariah says something like, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
Oh, Lord, for he has, look, he has raised up a mighty, I'm going to have to look it up. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant. Now we're going back to Old Testament. The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. All right, so we see Zechariah saying that he's got this idea of salvation, that we're going to be saved, rescued from our enemies, that we might, just like the people in the Old Testament, just like the Hebrews, that we might serve him. We're going to be released from bondage, thinking probably from the Romans, so that we might serve him all our days. And that's still a great theme. It just probably may not happen in such an earthy fashion. We see Peter as an individual crying out to be saved when he tries to walk on water and he thinks he's going to drown. So he, start, I mean, he starts off fine, takes his gaze off Jesus, starts falling into the water, and he cries out to be saved, as do his other boatmates in another, in another storm. And he's rescued from drowning. The Apostle Paul is rescued from various perils as he travels around on his missionary journey, uh, including a shipwreck on his way to Rome. And we find that he is saved so that he can go and spread the gospel to Rome. That was, yes, he was saved, and that was a good thing for Paul that he saved so that he can go to Rome. So this idea of being saved, as in Peter and Paul's case and in the context even of Jesus' crucifixion, um, is used in a sense that they're being rescued from death, from, from drowning, and, and Paul from being killed in a shipwreck. But the overtones imply much more than deliverance from physical death. Um, we find as Jesus is on the cross, um, we hear these words. The chief priests, also along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. And so there's somehow this sense that this deliverance from death is not just about um, from a physical death, but about something more. And so there are also recipients of salvation in the New Testament as groups. Um, like the Hebrew scriptures, the New Testament focuses on sort of general rather than individual needs, even though individual needs are met, and that make people candidates for salvation. Okay, again, chapter 1, what are we going to open up with? So what is the first thing, about the first thing that's being said in a book? This is important, so let's read it. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And you are to name him Jesus. Remember last, year, uh, last week, Jesus is uh, the same, sort of the same roots as Joshua and Yasha, Yasha, Jesus. It means to save. For you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. So we see already in the opening book of Matthew what Jesus is supposed to be saving us from. What are we, we're supposed to be saved from our sins. And this is group as a whole, the collective, the people are being saved from their sins. Oh, looky here, Mark 1, the opening of Mark 1. What would we say at the beginning of a book? The beginning of the good news. Here we go. We're going to open the book right up, and it's going to say, here's something good for you to read about. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, bam, right off the bat, Mark is telling us who Jesus is. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we see here that here's what we're going to be saved from, the people. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, it's a big group, were going out to him and were baptized by him in the River Jordan. Now, after John was arrested, we've skipped a little bit, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news, the good news of God. Well, what is that good news of God? What is the good news that Jesus is proclaiming? Well, let's find out. And these are some of the first words Jesus says. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. That's the good news. The good news is the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the good news. So what does that mean, the kingdom of God? We'll have to explore that a little bit. The kingdom of God is probably the way God would run things if he was here, right? And so if God is in charge and running things, then that's the way things should be. If Jesus is the Son of God and he is with us, then the kingdom of God has come near. And we're going to get a, an object lesson on what the kingdom of God should look like by watching Jesus Christ and later being empowered by him to be that kingdom. Oh, Luke 1. This should be important. So this is still Zechariah um, Zachariah speaking. By the tender, oh goodness, by the tender mercies, I don't know what happened. I don't know why. It was on my, it was on my computer. <laughs> by the tender mercies, I think we're going to see some light. I'd, I'm so sorry. To give light, so this is, uh, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So, a Savior is coming to light, to give light to those who sit in darkness. I can't read it. Can you read it to me? Yes. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from the high will break upon us to give light oh. to those who sit in the darkness and to the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Oh, good. We didn't miss, uh, we just missed a little ch chunk. So, we are being saved from darkness for light from the shadow of death for life and so that our feet might be guided in the way of peace. The Apostle Paul affirms that God's salvation is for a large group. It's for everyone when he says this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So salvation is for all. Salvation is available to all. And then Luke reflects um, the prophet Isaiah in portraying humanity's sort of pre-salvation state of poverty, both, both 
physical and spiritual, both the earthy and the spiritual, of poverty, captivity, blindness, oppression. And these are some of the first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Luke. After he calls his disciples, after his baptism, this is the first time he really gets up to preach. And he stands and unrolls the scroll. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read. So this is important. This is one of the first things Jesus says in the gospel. Let's see what he has to say. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was given to him. He unrolled, he unrolled the scroll, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And then he sits down and he begins to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's come. Part of the kingdom is that there'll be release of the captives, just like in bondage in Egypt, but maybe captive, maybe really captive, release of those who are oppressed, recovery of sight to the blind, both spiritually blind and physically blind. That is the reason why he has come. That's what he has been anointed to do. And so we talk about the nature of salvation. In the Synoptic Gospels, this present salvation, um, the Gospels present salvation in terms of entering into that kingdom of God, sitting at the table in God's kingdom, eating in God's kingdom. So Jesus came preaching, as we saw, the good news of the kingdom of God, that it had both come near in him, so the kingdom has been inaugurated in him, it's come near, and that it would be experienced as a future event. It would come to its full realization when he returns. So we've seen already that there's a lot of this earthy dimension to our salvation. And Jesus, Jesus uh, indicates, um, in, especially in the Sermon on the Mount and, and in Matthew, that the judgment to come later encourages us to attend now to the physical needs of others. And this is a, a verse that you see carved in um, our communion rail around. So when you go into the sanctuary next time you take communion, after you leave, we're come and we're fed. And then we are reminded why we're fed when we turn around and leave. And these are his words. Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when was it that we did all these things? And they repeat every one, line for line. And he says to them, and the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it for the least of these, just as you did it to one of those who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is why we have school supply drives. This is why we build 
an orphanage in Costa Rica so that children who have been abused and neglected, who've never seen what the kingdom of God looks like, can live in a loving home surrounded by people who love them, who get a glimpse of the kingdom, who can see what the kingdom should be like. This is why we support Genesis Women's Shelter. This is why we have food for the North Texas Food Bank. This is why we do so much mission so that we can help give li- be the kingdom to other people and so that we can share in God's grace in that way. Also, Jesus informs us that this is sort of an earthy thing when, he, when, we're, when we say the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? Right here. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a right here kind of thing. Um, And I don't think I continued with that. But give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's both a now thing and a spiritual thing. And lead us not into temptation, which is spiritual, and deliver us from evil, which is spiritual. For thine is the kingdom now and the power and the glory forever in the future. So now and later. So we get this already, not yet, all through there. So, so Jesus, through his words and his deeds and his presence, proclaims the kingdom of heaven and the rule of God through everything that he does. And so that denotes divine salvation for all of us. Jesus is Emmanuel, which we read, which means God with us. And he calls people to change their way of life, to repent, to turn back, and believe in the good news, the good news that the kingdom of God is near, that you can be a part of that good news, and to enjoy a deep and rich relationship with God. So he said, oh, Mark 1, first first chapter of Mark, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So let's look at the spiritual dimension of this. Of course, Jesus um, performs lots of miracles. And some of those, it appears, are for individuals. Um, So he he heals men and women. But um, but this, this physical healing also symbolizes what he ultimately wants to do and that is bring salvation to the whole person as again we revisit this idea of sozo this um, healing and wellness um, being kept from harm and liberation so let's look at three of these little stories Um, Jesus heals a blind beggar and as he does after he finishes or, or before he does Jesus says what do you want me to do for you and he says Lord, let me see again. This is something very earthy and now. I just would like my sight back. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. So this beggar seeks him out because he knows who he is. Then he heals the hemorrhaging woman, again, who seeks Jesus out. She's got to, like, touch his cloak. And when she does, uh, she is healed without even asking to be healed. And Jesus says, says to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then Jesus, as you remember the story of the ten lepers. Ten lepers come to Jesus. They are all healed. And only one turns around and comes back and thanks him. And he comes back and Jesus says to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made made you well. Your faith has saved you. So, 
it, this seems like very earthy stuff. The condition of those who were diseased was thought to be uh, caused by sin. Now, Jesus refutes this in, in other scripture, but the, the thought of the day is that people who are sick are sinful. People who have things wrong with them are sinful. They were ostracized. They were excluded from the community. Uh, they were marginalized. And what Jesus does by healing them not only restores their health, but it restores their wholeness of life. It restores them to the community. It restores them to their standing. Does that make sense? So that what he's saying is, this is the way the kingdom should be. This should be open for everyone. Everyone should be included in the community and in the kingdom. Um, when Jesus t heals a paralytic, he tells him his sins are forgiven, and he shows, of course, through that, that this is a spiritual healing as well. Now, this kind of irked the religious authorities because they were scandalized by this. The thought of the day, not just, just this thinking had come through, it wasn't all throughout the Old Testament, but that it would be the righteous, who those who had already achieved righteousness who would be saved, who would see God's salvation, not the riffraff and not the marginalized and not the people on the periphery, not the tax centers and the prostitutes and, and um, not the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And um, so this was pretty scandalous. And Jesus comes proclaiming God's compassion to those who are marginalized by the respectable people, by those who are already righteous. But we are saved for that, right? So that we can be righteous. So Jesus is going to bring them to that place. Paul's letters speak of um, the gospel of salvation that brings uh, freedom from sin, but also freedom from the law. Remember, the Ten Commandments are given, and it's when the Ten Commandments are given that people realize their sin. You don't really know you've done anything wrong till you see the list of things that you're not supposed to be doing, right? This gives, us, gives people freedom from sin, freedom from the law, and also freedom from death. But also for Paul, salvation means life. Life in Christ, peace with God, being a new creation, coming back to the, that creation story, that thread running throughout the whole Bible. Justification, which we will see again when we talk about John Wesley later. So and Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. In 2 Corinthians, he says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. We don't have to be who we were. We can be different. And so can others. And in Romans 6, he says, Jesus our Lord was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Justification is a legal term. We got any lawyers in here? Justification means you're made, made right, right? So Jesus was raised so that we could be seen as not guilty. The Gospel of John takes us then 
on a very, 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 it's the most spiritualized gospel. And the gospel of John expresses salvation as life, as zoe. As uh, Zoe is, and we'll talk about Zoe in a minute, but it's, it's not just being alive. It's this really deep and rich and abundant life. So John expresses salvation as life and light, being born again so that we can become children of God. And as children of God, through the Holy Spirit, we would share in the life of Christ. So that, for John, is what salvation means. Oop, it's the first thing. John 1, the opening, the opening uh, paragraph, the, open, the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. You see, we're going back to our creation story, just like in Genesis, in the beginning. And just as through all of... Uh, the Old Testament, the only Savior, the only time Savior is mentioned in the Old Testament is to describe God. There are other agents of salvation, kings and rulers, um, prophets are agents of God to help with salvation, but only God is talked of as a Savior. So all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 10.10 10 reminds us that Jesus' words say, I came, why? I came that they might have life, that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this word zoe, life moves beyond bios or a biological existence to mean this life that is rich and deep and abundant this life that never ends this life that is continuous and we see John says whoever believes in the son has eternal life so we get the the now so I have you have if you're in Christ Jesus right now you have eternal life this Living water that John talked about this morning in the service. Living water bubbling up, eternal life. We have it, so it's a now, it's an already. And this is eternal life. That you may, that you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing God, knowing Christ is eternal life. So we possess that now, but there's also a future salvation we see in John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is um, Jesus speaking to the disciples before he's about to go be crucified. This is the night before. And they're having this conversation, and he's trying to comfort them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. So we see in John evidence of eternal life, this 
realized salvation or eschatology, they would say, and the not yet. So Paul's letters also show evidence of having salvation now, but uh, most of his letters, most of the verses in his readings show a future salvation. It's very prominent in Paul. This, he's real, here, here he goes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we expect from heaven to see the return of Christ. And he says in Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So there's this reality, this now. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, so there's salvation now. But we're, we're grown inwardly while we await for adoption. So there's the already and the not yet. But the redemption... But we wait for the adoption, the, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Paul goes back and forth between we were saved, we're going to be saved. We were saved, it's like he's skating. We, have, we are the already and the not yet. And he says in, in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So again, you see the already. We walk now in newness of life, but we will be raised later. We are already raised in newness of life. So we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as we've taken a look at our salvation narrative all the way from the beginning to now, yes, we see, yes, we have been saved from separation from God Some people would call that hell. We've been saved from separation from God for heaven, for the kingdom of God, both now and in the life to come. But there's a deeper richness involved in that narrative that hopefully we just barely touched on today, that in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. We are are saved from bondage for liberation. We're to serve others without, to serve God without fear. We're saved in holiness and righteousness. We're saved from fear for faith. We are saved from death or a life that is not abundant for abundant life. And we're to do that to share the gospel. We are saved to share the gospel message in our words and in our actions. We're saved from our sin for the kingdom of heaven. We're saved from darkness and death, for light and life and peace. Jesus said, my peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. We're saved from physical and spiritual poverty and captivity and blindness and oppression for freedom in Christ so that we can be Christ's agents of salvation for those for whom poverty and captivity and blindness are true problems.
for the marginalized. We are saved for the kingdom to be the kingdom to the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the imprisoned. And we are saved from anxiety for joy and peace. We're saved from sin, the law, and death for life in Christ, for peace with God, for justification and new creation. And finally, we're saved from condemnation for resurrection. The New Testament ends with these words, with the vision of that consummation of salvation when the Lord Jesus comes. Here's our new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with you, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear. And death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I'm making all things new. We have a new creation. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. Next week, we are going to talk about how Jesus saves, the different theories of atonement, and 